You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. Let's do it later. Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes. Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Because nope. I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Besides the screen you spent most of your time staring at this week, chances are you are also captivated by a big screen video installation. From billboards to scoreboards, we inform and entertain audiences with our big screen solutions. Visit bigscreenvideo.com.au to see how BSV can bring your space to life. Seventeen degrees in Melbourne Park. The award-winning crunch time for Honda's seven-year sale ends June 30. Thurlow again has been a busy boy off to Metagola. Last gasp for the Cats. Hawkins almost dragging the one-hander. Did get a little kick. He's worked it back on goal. goal and right on the siren. It bounces through for the Cats' fourth goal. Much to the chagrin of Leon Cameron. Stewart gets it back to Stanley from outside 50. Heaves Cramery. it forward. Here's Cramery. He's played for Essendon. He's played for the Dogs. Yeah. And his 100th game. He's oh. kicked the goal for the Cats as well. And look at them come from all corners. The concern will be that the Giants have been so brave this quarter that they may have given their best. The advantage is claimed by Murdoch, who runs down the line and measures the pass off well to Hawkins. He's 55 from goal. He'll wheel onto the right boot and send it inside for Dangerfield. Patrick Dangerfield starts the second half deep forward. No angle to speak of. 35 out. The right foot drop putt is there. The move pays immediate dividends for Dangerfields. The ball's bounced into the grasp of Dangerfield. Wow. The Cats have been paid the advantage. Centering ball for Cramery. He'll kick his second. He strolls in and dobs it. Cats running a mark at GMHBA Stadium. That's a thumping big win for the Cats on Friday night footy. And it sends the Giants into a real spot of bother. Our senior players were disappointed in their performance and some of the fundamentals last week and were determined to turn them around. And so they were instrumental in the planning and the preparation for this week. And they are in our system generally, but it, it was taken to an extra level this week. And um, you know, I came to the ground with great confidence because you know, when our senior players have that attitude, they generally deliver. The Cats hit back, restoring the fortress down the highway. Geelong coach Chris Scott will join us. I'm going to be totally honest. We're not up to A-grade standard. It's an A-grade game against Geelong. They're an A-grade team. To play them down here, clearly, in terms of basic fundamentals of the game, we're not up to that standard. Tackled really well. Clearance work was even. But when you kick at 45% and handball at 67%, I mean, that's great pressure from them. But when you do that over and over again, over 120 minutes, that's not up to standard. And um, we can't serve up that basic fundamental tribe like that going forward because it's not going to stack up in big game. It's an E or maybe an F. Have the Giants reached the tipping point or are their problems deeper? Leon Cameron will face the music. It was a workplace matter resolved by the club and the AFL Integrity Unit independently investigated it and there's been no sanction handed down. I'm going to have to be doing more testing and monitoring sort of over the next three months so um, probably won't get back again this year. I'm probably going to put on hold I think for the end of the year. It's just easier for everyone I think. We don't need to play under nines and start putting players in zones. We don't need to uh, modify the number of players on the field. 
just apply the rules as they were meant to be applied. Oh, it's a big day and hopefully we get a chance to fight them, that's it. Are you planning on pleading not guilty? I've got no idea yet. The troubles in footy, the simmering situation at Fremantle, the fall of Bomber and the game on trial, it's all in the crunch. It's another massive edition of Crunch Time on Honda's seven-year sale. Great offers on a huge range of new models. See honda.com.au. Good morning, everyone, and welcome to Mars for the first edition ever from Mars Stadium of Crunch Time for Honda's seven-year sale. Great offers on a huge range of new models. See honda.com.au. It's a beautiful day, or relatively beautiful day. The sun just peeking through in Ballarat, and the ground is uh, in pretty good nick. The, uh, it looks superb, in fact, as we look over here in Ballarat. Uh, welcome to Crunch Time. Bob Murphy, Jared Waitley with us, and Kane Corns, also your Crunch Time team, as we reflect on last night. A troubled week in footy, and amongst other things, the game being questioned. And normally, footy has this way of delivering a cracker of a game after we've had a week of debate about the state of play. Unfortunately, that didn't happen last <laughs> night. But, Jared, you and I probably didn't care, being producing a very unbiased call of the Geelong victory uh, over the Giants. But so much to talk about this morning. There is. It's gloomy and not as cold as it might be, I would have said. Yeah, I was going right. to say, it's, it's, sort of covered it's up toasty in here, sitting next to you two cats, man. <laughs> yes, there's a glow about it, isn't there? There are so many issues out of last night. And, you know, you've flagged the Giants. It felt like they'd run out of players when we got there last night. They turned in one of their worst. They turned in their worst performance since they were an embryonic team and they nearly had the indignity of registering their lowest score which, which is was from that era. Yeah, extraordinary isn't it to think that uh, all the talent that was there, I know there was so much out but their top end players are really struggling Bob aren't they? Well they certainly did last night. Yeah, I mean comprehensive, you don't see too many just comprehensive uh, defeats like that uh, these days where they just didn't really show much for, for the entire night. Yeah, so I was intrigued, you guys saw it live, do we give them an out because of the because of their numbers out? But like you say, Hutto, yeah, they, they didn't have they didn't have too many winners last night. Do you, do you give them an out at all, Kane? Um, a little one, but uh, yeah, I think they've got some issues. When you look through their playing list and the likes of Lloyd and DeBoer and Core and Keefe and Reed, Buckley, Langdon and Shipley, uh, not many players that we know that are probably up to AFL standard, unfortunately. But it is rare to hear a coach call that performance tripe. So um, that that is rare. Very honest, Leon Cameron, who we'll speak to this morning. But clearly, um, he doesn't give them an out uh, last night. But uh, how much we take out of it with the probably probably literally six of their best ten out last night down at Geelong, always going to be difficult. Yeah, and they've never won there, and they talked about that's one of the things that they'd still like to do, and I don't think the expectations were massively high deep down, but they certainly would have thought they would have performed better than they did. I'd love to get, before we talk about Geelong and all the positives, and also Tom Hawkins and get our discussion around that, Chris Scott will join us. Just a bit more on the Giants. The way injuries affect teams, the flow-on effect, I mean, they don't have a ruckman at the moment. John Patton had one hit out the week before. He had a lot more last night up against Reece Stanley. The fact that, I mean, Dawson Simpson might as well retire because they're clearly not going to pick him. Mm. Um, and then the flow-on effect, you know, Callum Ward doesn't seem to be in great form. Uh, Cornelio not playing the way that we're used to. I mean, they're clearly missing Kelly and what he brings in the middle. So that flow-on effect when you've got a few players out, and how do you counter that? Bob first. Well, it, it is because the good teams the good teams share it and we, we talk about Richmond a lot but the reason why Richmond have put such a gap or one of the reasons they've put such a gap on the competition is because they're so even they share it whereas 
you've got so many good players for GWS out, more falls on those guys and, and it pulls your structure apart. Where John, Patton doesn't want to be having to play in the right. He wants no. to set his mind to, I'm the, big, I'm the big man inside Ford 50, put it on my head and I'll, and I'll catch it. Whereas then he's being sort of pulled out of his spot. Callan Ward and, and Coniglio, these, Coniglio, these guys aren't able to rotate as much. So it, it, do, it does have a ripple effect, not just what you're missing in terms of the talent out. Uh, yeah, spot on as well. And uh, but I'd argue, take take Nan Curvis, take Rewalt and Cochin and and Rance out of Richmond, and you probably would have got a similar performance from Richmond last night down there. So you think so? Uh, I, I definitely. T- who you gonna who's gonna play in the ruck for Richmond if Nan Curvis is not there? Who who's there if Rewalt's not in the forward line? Now these players that are missing for the Giants are every bit as good as. Nan Curvis and Rewald, and probably even Martin. When you think of Toby Green and Kelly, what these guys have done, Jeremy Cameron, and what it allowed to do, it allowed Geelong's defence to give them absolutely no respect last night. Cameron's not there, Green's not there, so we'll just drop off the likes of Finlayson and, and Himmelberg and these guys. We'll take 28 in the set marks last night and set our game up from there. So you speak about the flow-on effect, Hutto. It exactly applies to the opposition as well, where they're standing next to someone who's usually a Jeremy Cameron, who's deadly, and Toby Green, and they've got someone that's a no-name next to them, and they just drop off and intercept the, market, uh, the ball at will last night. So I disagree to this extent is to kick the ball at 45%. Mm. And particularly from, say, a player like Heath Shaw, who really set the diatone early with the errors that he made. is And, and his effort was good, but then yeah. just the skill level. Yeah, so they were bristling last night heading down there about the criticism that they'd copped, which mm. I think they reckon is in the past. And Wayne Campbell was at pains to point out they were the number one team defensively. And I think they wanted a, a credible, mm. gutsy, tough effort. Mm. You know, and if, if they lost, they lost. They didn't get it. They got the sort of performance where you look from the outside and go, oh, that's... So what does it say, though, Jerry? What I, does it, yeah, when they get the players back, I, I mean, it was clearly a terrible performance and really disappointing, but what does it actually... A, what does it say about them? And B, what does it mean for the season so for them? I wouldn't drop off them. I think mm. you do. You were you were at this two weeks ago, I reckon, Hutto. Is, is this the same story for the Giants where they are undermined by injury the whole way through? And I thought they were tremendously gallant in the second half of last year when they could have folded their tent. I wonder what the cumulative impact mm. of that is. They are always playing under duress, and now they have too many out. They didn't, I say this with respect to the individual players, they didn't recruit Lockie Keefe to play him, and they didn't recruit Dylan Buckley to play him, and they're there in round seven. That's way too early. They're desperation mid to late winter selections to get you through a couple of weeks. They're just not. Keefe played in the ruck last night. He knows nothing about playing in the ruck. And neither does Radagalia for whatever it's worth. It's some of the ruck contests they put up. That's not what they're there for. And I think that that's why I'll hold my judgment till they get their players back. The trouble with the history of it is, is are they ever going to have their full core together? Well, that's the... Gee, they need it quick, though, don't they? Because it's, it's now a rut. They're, they're, like last night, you know, we'll, we'll ask Leon Cameron later whether it's an, an aberration of a one night, but they're, they're now in a rut, really poor against St Kilda. Got away with one against Brisbane. Disaster last night. So they, need to get, they need to get it back pretty quick. At least they've got some wins, though, haven't they? So yep. it, it, does, it gives them something, some they stock. They third on the table entering last, <laughs> last night. You could have been mistaken for thinking they were 14th and they'd slumped to 16th. So yeah. they stay ahead of Geelong. Yes, they do. All right, 11 past 11. So what of Tom Hawkins uh, and his contact with the umpire? He spoke to us us last night on AFL Nation. 
I brushed the hand of the umpire. Uh, I actually didn't realise at the time that it was that it was uh, he, his hand. I uh, I apologised to him straight after the. I did make contact. Uh, the 50 metre was paid. I, I think from from my point of view, I, I'm not sure. I and I don't like to speculate, but um, you know, paid the free kick. He uh, he warned me that that not to do it, and and obviously apologised, and we and we moved on. So there was no other fi- uh, 50 metre uh, paid against me. So from that point of view, I think he was was okay about it. Obviously, it's not something you want to do, but from my point of view, uh, it was certainly accidental and there was there was no malice in it. So, a fine or worse? Jared, you're the yeah. MRO so Michael, expert. Yeah, Michael Christian is looking at this right now, yep. and I would expect me to have an answer before the end of crunch time. So, the, the two considerations are, if it was accidental contact in Michael's view, it will be a fine. If it's intentional contact, it goes to the tribunal. Those are the only two possible outcomes. It's obviously going to be one or the other. It's not a question as whether it's a reportable offence. It is. So, if Michael believes that it was just an accidental brush while he was trying to muck around. I think it was Griffin who was between him and the umpire. Then it's a, I think it's a $2,000 fine. But if there's any risk that it was intentional contact, then it's straight to the tribunal on Monday night. Well, Chris Scott, both publicly and I think the Cats camp privately last night were confident that it, it worse that it'd be a fine. What do you think, Bob? I hope it's a fine. Do you? Yeah, I hope it's a fine. I mean, I've only seen it a couple of times, but there wasn't any real malice in it. And I think that we, we want to set the example and we want to look after the umpires and I think the 50 metre penalty and a fine will give it its due recognition and set the course of the standard but I don't think anything more than that I think would be would be over the top. Kane, your brother got suspended for a week for swearing during the week. How do you read this one? <laughs> if, you get, if you get a week for swearing, you've got to get a week for brushing an umpire but let's separate the two. Uh, Tom, Hawkins, <laughs> Tom Hawkins is right and and I'm with Bob a little bit that you, I, there was certainly no malice in it, but it was intentional. So if it's in, there's no way to argue it wasn't intentional because there was no one else in the line of sight of the umpire. So, from so it was in, in, he intentionally touched the umpire? Intention, or? Intentionally touched the umpire, yes. Mm, now yeah, he, so. he said that he didn't. So if, if that is the case, and I, I can't see how in any other way you can grade this other than intentional, then it probably got to go to the tribunal and, and he misses a week as much as we probably don't want to see our good players rubbed out for that. So one doesn't necessarily equal the other. He could still go to the tribunal and be fine. Okay. I think that would still be yep. in play. I'm a, Having thought about it since last night, I'm a bit with Kane. I actually think it's probably worthy of exploration with all the views put forward before the tribunal so that they can reach a, a rational outcome other than just watching a piece of video. Did, so, did the angles that we saw or that you've seen support Tom's argument, did you think? There's one that does and one that doesn't. Which sometimes, and that's probably <laughs> it's why. It's like a goal review, isn't it? Yeah, that's probably why it does belong at a hearing. Mm. Can we knock it down? Whatever the punishment is, can we just knock it down about fifteen percent on the back of Tom's oh. insightful comments? And that was great. He, he really just he took us there and gave us a gave us a really honest. So, so you're saying a good interview post match well, yeah, just helps your chances, just to encourage other players to take us inside the game. All right. Well, Chris Scott is going to join us after the break, but maybe just a, a quick word on, on the Cats and from what you've seen so far. And if they only hadn't have lost that last quarter last week the way they did, it would be a, a, quite a different scenario right now. It means they're still battling just to stay ahead of the curve, Kane, to some degree. But gee, they've found some, haven't they, this that, year? Yeah, I just don't know where to judge them. I don't know where they sit amongst the competition. I was unsure leading into last night, and, and last night was a tick. But still, with the giant side that they played at home, I'm still a little bit confused about where exactly they sit. If, you know, if Max Gorn had kicked straight early on, then they'd drop one there. But last week, they probably should have won. So I'm confused. I need a couple more weeks till I can judge them properly, unfortunately. 
haven't heard uh, that sort of indecision <laughs> from you before, Kane. But uh, yeah, where's no, the I, real Kane? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, li- I liked it, Hutto, and I thought last night was, was super impressive. We talked about how many outs GWS had, but their evenness and the depth they had, it was, you know, their, their, their stars played well, but, but they had they had a lot of they had a lot of role players last night, and just their dominance to be able to trap the ball in, keeping, keeping GWS to 32 points, that's a great effort. Yeah, I mean, that's the thing that Geelong haven't really had before, Jared. that extent of depth. And we probably, we, well, I'm sure we wouldn't have seen Mark Blitzhaus play at full back if it wasn't for Taylor and Henderson as injury. We wouldn't have seen Henry probably at this stage of the season, although they, they clearly liked him. Tim Kelly is, we'll talk further to, to Chris, he's probably a bloke who's been asked about at every press conference so far, yeah. but they knew they had a good one. I don't think they knew he was going to be like this. So it strikes me that their one to two year players are better than their three to five year mm. players. So by playing. The youngest blokes who are in their seven, seven, six, five, sixth games, they're actually they're better placed than playing the blokes who have played between twenty and forty games, and that's, I mean, that's a, a tremendous situation for the coach, and completely unforeseen. You couldn't yes. have imagined that's like, that. That's like a double bounce for Chris yeah. Scott and the Cats, where you unexpected and, and a boost for the playing group as well, and the leaders to go have a look at these yeah. guys. We've come straight in. That's how you. That's how you improve. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Big margins. Still plenty of questions for Chris Scott. He is going to join us next, as will Leon Cameron. Plenty to discuss both on and off the field in the crunch. On crunch time for Honda's seven-year sale, great offers on a huge range of new models. See honda.com.au. The award-winning crunch time for Honda's 2017 run-out. Welcome back to Crunch Time for Honda's seven-year sale. Great offers on a huge range of new models. See honda.com.au. Leon Cameron to join us shortly. But the coach, uh, the, his counterpart in the coach's box last night, of course, was the coach of the Cats. And uh, he'll have a big smile on his face, I'm sure, this morning after a comprehensive win this morning uh, last night. Thanks for your time, Chris. No worries, Hado. Thanks for having me. Take us into the week. I mean, obviously, you would have been bitterly disappointed with what happened in the last quarter, and it's always hard when you play such a, a poor quarter and it's so costly to know exactly how to deal with it. But how did you deal with it, and, and I guess more specifically, the players? Well, I think the most important thing was to be specific with certain parts of the game. It, it can be a um, mistake, in, in our view, to um, you know lump a loss like that um, you know, into a... You know, a completely negative situation. I think the reality was that um, Sydney you know, only kicked one goal, which um, turned out to be a mistake in the score review in over a half of footy. So there were parts of, particularly our defensive performance last week, that was really strong. But we let ourselves down a little bit structurally and a little bit with our method, particularly in the centre bounces in the last quarter, and um, were overrun. So hopefully, we try to keep it in perspective, but not gloss over those key areas that we needed to improve in. And you know, it, it's a, it was a bit of a rare situation for us in that um, in most of the players who were involved in some of our disappointing patches late in that game against Sydney were our um, well-credentialed, more experienced players. So they really steeled themselves to um, put in a, a consistent, strong performance. And it wasn't as if they played poorly last week. They just played... 
poorly um, in specific patches. So how did they put that in place during the week to ensure those things didn't happen and, and attack the, last night's game? Yeah, it's not particularly romantic, but um, there are a few um, fundamental areas, particularly with our stoppages, um, that were glaringly obvious to them. You know, sometimes after a loss, the, the players and the coaches come in in the direct aftermath and are a little confused as to exactly why um, the team got what it got. Um, but this wasn't one of those situations. It was really clear, and, and even watching you know, the vision, it didn't require much coaching um, you know, because the players were, were able to identify those things and, and, and just as importantly, um, be clear on the ways that they could rectify it in the next week. And they, they did that pretty clearly. Is there a, a, an element of anger that sort of, and just bitter disappointment that can drive, still drive modern footy? Or we always hear this, you've got to sort of react the same after a win or a loss and be calm about it. But you also hear players saying, I'm glad it's a short week. I just can't wait to get out there again. No, I think there's an element of that. Um, I just think it's a little overplayed at times. Um, you know, and I think it's it's a mistake when you put in a poor performance um, to say, well, it was just effort-based and we just didn't try hard enough. And when you have a win, it's because the effort was there. I think it's much more complex than that. Um, and in some respects, it's, it's more simple than that. It's just more a method thing rather than a than an effort thing. So um, the, the players were, were clearly looking for the chance to get back out there and, and, and right the wrongs. I mean, you, you, can't, you can't ever, um, you know, take it back necessarily. But it was important that, you know, when you're making mistakes within, within games and even within a season that you don't let it snowball because that momentum can be really difficult to arrest. You're so practical, Chris. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, sorry about that. Hey, did you take the opportunity at all? How much coaching do you do of Paddy Dangerfield? Uh, quite a bit. Yep. Yeah, quite a bit, but um, there's also, I mean, the majority of it is making sure, and I think, I think this is coaching 101, personally. I'm, I'm not sure that everyone would agree with me, but I think particularly with your best players, um, it's about uh, maximising their strengths um, and, and then trying to mitigate their, their weaknesses if they have them, um, you know, through the team framework. And um, so you know, our role, particularly with with, with Paddy, let's let's find that specific example, it's about... Um, you know, facilitating his performance. So, you know, if there are things that he's not doing within the framework of the team, then we need to be really strong on that. Um, but for the most part, it's it's kind of letting him go because he can do some things that, um, you know, even the coaches, um, you know, would would find difficult to coach. You just kind of got to let your stars go to an extent. So, how much are the elite players excused from the defensive side of the game? Not at all. Yep. No, not at all. But every player is an individual, and um, you know, there, there's not there's not a player out there that's perfect on on both sides of the ball. Um, but again, it's a matter of balancing, um, you know, the strengths of those players, um, you know, and also you know mitigating the weaknesses. So if it becomes, um, you know, a critical issue from the team, then it has to be arrested. But um, I think it's also it's some simplistic commentary that goes on around it. When you look at isolated incidents, and teams defend differently. So, you know, in say a Sydney style under Paul Ruse, he might look at the game and say he hasn't got a man; he's not defending properly. Uh, and in the modern game, you know, that's not always the case. So I think you've just got to be a little bit careful of rushing to judgment on those things. Uh, Chris Bob here, uh, great win last night, and Jared took it down a path that I'm sure you wouldn't have liked to, to single out Paddy Dangerfield. But I wanted to highlight the depth 
of the side last night. Um, guys like Mitch Duncan and Blitzarves and Tom Stewart and Tim Kelly, you must have been wrapped with how they, they stood up and shared the load last night. Yeah, absolutely, Bob. And I think there are a few other um, in that few others in that category as well. Jack Henry marked the ball really well and was looking solid as a defender. I mean, if you had have told us that you know, he'd be holding down virtually a, a, um, a key defensive post um, last year, it certainly would have surprised us. Um, and, and, yeah, there are Lockie Fogarty's in his first year and looking really solid. We've got Corey Gregson back from long-term injury. So, um, you know, often it can be difficult when you do um, have a, a lack of personnel, but the upside is that um, you get to blood some young players and there's a fair chance that um, you know, if if we go far enough this year that you're going to need a broad list. One of the downsides of having great continuity is that if you do get a few injuries late in the season, you need to bring in players that haven't had the opportunity at the level. So um, I think it's going to be a really even year and, and clearly we're going to have to fight every week to, to get the wins. But if we can do that while also playing some of those young guys, it's yeah, really gratifying. Chris, I wanted to explore your defence a little bit. Uh, when we used to play Geelong, the, the defensive unit gave us nightmares. So Harley and Mackie and Enright and Scarlett and Bartell. Last night, you took 28 intercept marks with the players you've mentioned, Stuart, Kolodjasny, Henry, Blixarves. When you speak about coaching, what's the balance between getting them to mark the ball and getting them to defend? Because that really stood out to me last night. Yeah, it's a debate that we have quite regularly. And we've got one of the best defenders of all time, Matthew Scarlett, probably throw Corey Enright into that group as well um, on, our, on our coaching staff. And, um, you know, Scala in particular was a, a really attacking um, defender, um, at least least to most observers. But um, he will always say that, you know, defending first is, you know, the most critical part. And, um, you know, again, I think it comes back to the individual strengths. Um, so we have, have a few guys that back there that are really strong in the air and we'd like them to back themselves. But I guess from a coaching perspective, you said, you know, go for it until you until you get outmarked a few times, and then you've probably got to go back to the basics a bit more. But last night, I think it was, um, you know, it was good pressure up the field that meant that mm. GWS always weren't kicking it to their preferred position. Have you got a thought in the back of your mind of how you'll use Harry Taylor when he comes back? Yeah, we do, um, and I don't think it'll be complicated. I think he'll just slot back into his um, into his normal um, defensive post. I mean, he was injured round one, so we had a pretty clear plan. For, for him this season. The, the, the part that complicates it a bit is the Blitzard has gone back and played really well there. Jack Henry's there as well. And I mean, late last year, we were using um, Jake Collagesny more in the midfield. Um, it was That was really our intention again this season. So it was more out of necessity that he went back. So, yeah, it, it's not so much that we're unsure about what to do with Harry. We're just a little more unsure what to do with the others. Have you found Blitzard's spot now, do you think, then, Chris? Well, he thinks we have. He's, he's, he's pretty happy down there. And I, I mean, I was like, it, it can be, um, you know, as, as Kane and even Bob, for that matter, would attest to, playing in defence or playing defensive roles um, can be stressful. You know, you, invariably you end up playing on really good players every week um, and it is a strong mental challenge. Um, and so I'm, I'm pleased to hear that you know, he's comfortable back there and he wants to do it because that speaks to um, some mental toughness in my view. Just taking you back to, to during the week, Chris, about the, the, the players that were involved in the planning for the Giants, how does that practically play out? Were the, were the leaders in front of the group, did they present with any of the opposition stuff? How did that sort of materialise? It 
started pretty quickly after the game. The, the senior players, but we don't really spend too much time you know, win, lose or draw um, as a group post-game. We have the luxury of taking a few days to, to digest it and we encourage the players to do the same thing. But um, again, it was so obvious. You know, it was so painful on one level, but it was also obvious, um, you know, the issues that, that we had and that we needed to arrest. So there were conversations post-game and, and then the leadership group got together and um, you know, we, we tend to involve them in the planning two days post-game anyway for the upcoming game um, and, and and they took the opportunity. So, look, we're really clear on what we need to do and, and this one's a little bit more on us than, you know, rather than, you know, any sort of sophisticated um, you know, coaching intervention. So it, it, it flowed on out onto the grass over the next couple of days with the um, practical work um, on the ground and but as it always is, you know, it's one thing to talk about it and practice it. It's a completely different thing to execute. And we've got a high level of um, respect for the Giants midfield. I mean, they are a little scary when you think about the players that they can put out there, um, even with with the players they have unavailable. So um, it was still a pretty strong performance. Chris Scott, the Geelong coach, with us on Crunch Time. Chris, the profile of the team is so young. Five players with fewer than 10 games, five more with fewer than 50, and another three fewer than 100. Is How much was calculated and how much just crept up on you that half the side is extremely inexperienced that you put out there virtually every week? It's crept up on us a little bit, um, and for a few reasons. If, if we compare where we are now to, say, where we were four or five years ago. Um, now we're absolutely picking um, our best team um, for each week. And it wasn't that we weren't doing that four or five years ago, but we had a really strong list management um, uh, requirement to, to get some younger players um, into the into the team. So if there was a, you know, sort of a 50-50 decision, we had a bias towards the younger guys. But we're not so much in that position now. Um, guys like Tom Stewart, Tim Kelly, Lockie... Fogarty. I mean, they, they Asava Radigalia, they forced their way into our, our best team for round one this year when we had better availability. Um, but then we got a few injuries as well, and probably at times this year, not even in, in whole games, but just patches of games, I think we've just reached a critical mass of inexperience, which can lead to a bit of inconsistency. I know that's almost a cliche these days, but I think it is hard to refute when you've got a lot of young guys who haven't played much at the level and certainly haven't played together. You can get those, you know, that little lack of cohesion. So it's not necessarily by design, but if we can scrape through um, over the next couple of months and, and while we get some of our um, more senior players back, I think you know, we'll be killing two birds with one stone to an extent. How big is the bonus when... So you've got a player like Kelly who's routinely been in the votes and we had Jack Henry in the votes last night as when those inexperienced players actually force their way to being your best players. Yeah, I mean, we certainly didn't plan for it with Tim Kelly. I mean, our recruiters um, had, a, had a loose idea that um, with Stephen Motlop going out to Port Adelaide that Tim Kelly could be a similar sort of player for us and he was a little bit older perform well against men at waffle level and you know maybe he might be able to come in and have an impact straight away but I don't think anyone expected what we've got um, both in terms of his application and preparation and his, his execution game day and a little bit the same with um, Lockie Fogarty as well I mean he was he was our first pick in the draft but um, you know the genuine you know, 18 year old 17 18 year old 
not physically mature. There were at least some question marks in my mind whether he was ready, you know, to step straight in and play against men. But he hasn't shown any signs of um, immaturity. He's been really strong in the contest and um, has performed well. And, and again, like guys like Jack Henry, it's it's just, I guess, um, a reaffirmation for us that you you shouldn't judge your players um, too much on on VFL level. Some some guys. When they come up a level, they actually perform better. So, yeah, it's it's not, in my experience anyway, it's not uncommon for, for these guys to come in and, and surprise you. Are you worried about the Tom Hawkins scenario before the MRO now? Yeah, a little bit. I mean, you always, there's always concern, you know, until they say there's nothing to worry about. Um, but I think the process is, is quite robust now. I mean, I was quite clear that last week that I just don't see any reason for umpires to lay match day reports. Um, and I suspect that might be the case in this situation, although it's clear that Dean Margetts had the power to report Tom at the time if, if he felt it was warranted. So um, I think that speaks a little bit to the way he interpreted the situation. I thought Tom's explanation was pretty good um, as well post-game. I mean, I'm clearly biased, but I do have the advantage of knowing Tom really well. You know, he's... He's an honest guy, and I think he called it exactly as he saw it. So I imagine the process with Michael Krishna will be that he'll speak to the umpire and get his view and speak to a number of people. And if there's any doubt, they'll probably put it up for clarification. But um, I think I heard you say earlier, Jared, that it's, it's not a bad process sometimes just to put it up, not even you know put too strong a case forward to say we definitely think this requires suspension, but just say maybe it requires a little bit more investigation. Because, I mean, contact with umpires are a serious, is a serious matter, and we, we shouldn't be flipping about it. But, um, you know, notwithstanding what some people would interpret from the vision, I, I trust Tom implicitly, and if he says he didn't deliberately do it, I believe him. Chris, thanks for your time, and good luck for what's to come. The award-winning crunch time for Honda's 2017 run-out. It was a miserable night for the Giants down the highway. Such a low-scoring affair from their perspective and soundly beaten. And Leon Cameron, the coach, is with us on Crunch Time. Leon, Leon welcome. Jared, how are you? Uh, I'm okay. Was it a sleepless night? Yeah, it was, actually. Um, not good waking up on a, on a Saturday morning um, after the performance that we had. Um, but, um, yeah, that's, that's life. And, you know, it's round seven, so we've got to put it into perspective we've got time to uh to lick our wounds and work on the clearly the areas that we need to work on how much have you looked at so far in uh, in replay and review uh about two and a half quarters um did that uh, last night and, and this morning and um and look it was it's it's you, you get the half time and it's a seven goal to two um uh, scoreline and um, they just capitalised every time they went forward, um, especially in the second quarter. They probably could have been in front a little bit more in the first because of the lopsided inside 50s, but we just made some fundamental errors in our back half with our feet. I mean, the kick at 45% is just unheard of. Um, and you've got to put that down to two things. One is their pressure first up and so we um, clearly then panicked a fair bit from there um, and turned the footy over. But, um, yeah, it's, a, it's an interesting scoreline at half-time. We probably had the better of them in the second quarter, but they 
three times went down pretty easily and scored, which was disappointing. But anyway, I haven't got to the, the nasty third, uh, well, a lot of the nasty third quarter yet. Yeah. Well, that, that sort of looms in your future. Uh, are you trying to change the way that the Giants have played? And is the, the retention, the short kicking that didn't work last night, is that actually what you're aiming for? No, I mean, last night, uh, I mean, clearly they zoned that ground really, really well. And we wanted to try to take ground on every chance we get because you go backwards against the Cats at their home ground and it just they just close you down really, really quickly. Every time we tried to take ground, short at times, um, obviously our uh, kicking efficiency really hurt us. But secondly, when we did go long, we were outmarked long down the line as well and we were really disappointing in the air. Um, so then you're sort of looking at you know, a double sword, then you're thinking, well, short or long, what's working? And uh, none of it was at the time. So we sort of had to scrap our way through to get it inside 50, which is really, really, you know, not like us at times. And uh, and to get some fluid movement off stoppage, uh, it was really hard because uh, stoppage sort of evened out throughout the game and we couldn't get some clear ball. And we probably only got one or two clear balls when Morty scored, but it was nowhere near enough. Leon, you're usually very measured, but after the game, it's as strong as I've ever seen you speak. You called it tripe in terms of the performance. You put some heat on some individuals, including Jonathan Patton. Was that a calculated choice, and do you worry about the ramifications of that, or um, was it a planned decision to speak as strongly as you did last night? No, I mean, clearly he was disappointed, um, Kane, I mean, after the game, because, um, I mean, we know the... Clearly, the, the areas to measure up to A-grade footy, which is Geelong at Geelong, everyone knows they're really hard to beat, but that's A-grade footy. Um, you know, you walk away, you know, if it's a two or three goal loss and, um, you know, you're kicking and your style of play is intact and, you know, players that are in form, uh, sorry, they're out of form, their effort levels are, uh, you know, to a level of AFL standard and that fluctuated through the night and uh, that that's what the scoreboard tells you. Um and, you know, we tackled really well. Uh, we evened out stoppage because we know we've got, a you know, a couple of different ruckmen. But um, our general footy around play, our, our, our smarts, um, um, our ability to stay in the game at times, that was really poor. And that's probably what I was alluding to because if you're in an A-grade game, as you know, Kane, if you, you switch off for five seconds, mm. they score. And that's what actually happened. And... Uh, um, so that was a disappointing part because we need to measure up to A-grade footy if we're ever going to get anywhere. So from that, uh, Patton's performance clearly, in your mind, not up to AFL standards. What do you do? Because you can't afford not to play him with the injuries that you've got. Oh, I don't think it's just... I mean, when I was talking about John, I mean, John knows that he needs to be better in areas of the game. As I alluded to last night, I actually thought his ruck work... And this is a foreign part of the game for him because he hasn't played much ruck at all. That's the angle we've gone down because Lobb's injured and um, you know there's a few other things going on. So I actually thought that was okay. It's his forward craft that's letting him down, but he'd be the first one to put up his hand to say it is. Um, but it's not just him on his own. Um, there's a number of players. I thought our midfield was soundly beaten at times, especially early. You know, and in that midfield, we're talking about you know some really good quality players in Ward and Canelio and Sheil and Hopper and Taranto. So their quality ball was better than ours. And so you look over the, the journey and say, well, we might have tackled really well, but our quality of ball was probably down by a fair bit, which in the end hurts you. Leon, Bob here. Um, you, you mentioned Patton there and how how the injuries have, have pulled that structure apart, having to play him in the ruck. How, how have the other 
outs, and we, we know the, the, the calibre of players you've got out at the moment. How, how have those outs affected the structure of the Giants at the moment? Uh, it looks... It, it, it does, Bob. I mean, if you're, you're being totally honest, it does a little bit. But in saying that, um, you know, we've learnt... You know, we've learnt to win um, some ugly games in the past 12 months without the proper, you know, without the perfect structure. Everyone loves the perfect structure, and that's, you know, your five or six regular forwards that are there, so you get great cohesion from your back half and from your mids and all that sort of stuff, but you just can't have it every week. And so we've actually learned and won some ugly games um, really, really well over the past 12 months. But I can't sit here and say that that contributed to a 10-goal loss, so, Bob. Um, that's... That, that might have contributed to one or two goals because the connection's not right there. And young Harry Himmelberg is only a third-year player. He's actually, I was really pleased with his effort last night. Um, his leading patterns are getting better and, um, you know, holding down a key position spot without Jeremy there and, and John in the ruck is, is tough. But, but I can't sit back and say that contributed to the... To the, the whole ten goal loss, mate. Yeah, we know how we know how difficult it is to defend when you you know when you kick the ball at forty five percent, like you say. That's they're, they're unheard of stats, and it's always going to make for for a tough night. But a couple of the other stats, the uncontested possession and the marks, sort of they 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 spoke to a, a lack of work rate. Was that something? I mean, I know it was a dirty night, but was that something that was in the forefront of your mind post match? Uh, yeah, a little bit. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, probably what, what I was alluding to before. On that, Kane, is that that was the sort of that effort in terms of stopping an uncontested mark. They're, they're, they're little, the little chip kicks that they work around the, the back half of the ground and then set themselves up. I thought, you know, it was a nearly, you're nearly there, you're nearly there. And as the game went on, probably specifically probably after half time, um, that nearly dropped away. And that was that you can't compromise on work rate. And I, 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 whether that effort was all used up and tackling, you've got to be able to do both of this in this game as we know and our ability to tackle really well didn't stop um, all night but you've also got to add that to stopping the um, players going from one end of the ground to the other and uh, I challenged the guys in the last quarter I said this is what we've got to be able to do and as much as what we you know didn't score a hell of a lot in that last quarter we kept on cracking in and stopping that that uncontested mark in the last quarter a lot better even though our structure probably fell apart a little bit but clearly there's a fair bit of work there to do Bob. So you couldn't have done more to own all of this, Leon, but I do want to follow up on the injury question. There surely is a tipping point where your team is not really your team anymore. And I must admit, driving there last night, I thought, this is not this is not how you intend the Giants to be in round seven on, on a personnel front. And it has to undermine everything, does it not? No. Okay. No. No. Um... And uh, because I, I reckon if you go down that path, Jared, and you think that is a tipping point, then if the if the coach believes in that, and I clearly I clearly believe it is not a tipping point because um, I've seen us handle these situations from last year um, um, better than we did last night. And um, as I said before, you can walk away from a three or four goal loss. Um, it's just the manner in what actually happened last night, and that was. Early in the piece, the first 10 or 15 minutes, we needed to tackle a little bit better, but then we were really good at that. But then when that came, our kicking dropped right away. We went back into our shells. Our ball use was poor. And then on top of that, defending that, our uncontested marks against really hurt us. And so some some of that is definitely effort and some of that is staying in the game. And so um, we've got to find a way to, um, you know, whoever plays. Um, and clearly, yes, you want your best 22 out there every week, but it's definitely not a tipping point, Jared. 
And the perceptions around the Giants, and we know that the camps have took in some of what had been said from Wayne Carey and the like. Do you think those perceptions are anchored in the past, notwithstanding that you didn't do anything last night to, to dispel that? Oh, look, I think the, the, there's no doubt, um, you know, we're, we're a normal club now. And, um, you know, it's probably taken a six or we're into a seventh year to be normal. Um, whether that happened a year ago or two years ago, our, our list is evened out. We've, you know, the 25 players or however many players or 30 players have moved on from our footy club since I arrived. So you normal out your list, if, you know, it, it evens out a fair bit. So with that, you expect the criticism that comes our way um, when you don't perform. And, you know, and, and, and Wayne's, Wayne's uh, article during the week, he's right on some of that. I disagreed on us having the ability to win ugly because I actually think we do. The thing that's hurting us at the most, if you really look closely at our footy, is our ball use. And and you look at a skillful side like us that probably was the... We were tainted as that really good skillful side three or four years ago as running, using the ball, linking up. That's the thing that's clearly, clearly hurting us at the moment, especially in big games. And you've got to be able to deal with the pressure um, when the pressure goes up. And so um, we need to go back to the drawing board and make sure that is at a better level when that pressure comes. Leon, we appreciate your time after last night's performance and uh, good luck rectifying it. The award-winning crunch time for Honda's seven-year sale ends June 30. AFL footy in Ballarat this afternoon. The Bulldogs hosting the Suns. Premiership points competed for the first time at this ground in Mars last year, and it's repeated again this afternoon. So one of two that have been hosted at this ground, regional Victoria taking its place in the AFL landscape. It is a beautiful setup here. They've got the Ferris wheel at the end. They've got the hot jam donuts, the really authentic country hot jam donuts just at the bottom of the stairs, which you're going to work out during the afternoon. So uh, a real fun afternoon at the footy. Is there any it. fairy floss, do you reckon, Bob, over I, there? I, just, just looking from afar, you, we would guarantee there's fairy floss out there, Hutto. We'll get some for you. Mm. Jared Waitley, Anthony Hudson, Bob Murphy and Kane Corns. The three takeaways out of last night. Let's start. Chris Scott has been on Crunch Time talking about Tom Hawkins' contact with the umpire. Yeah, a little bit. I mean, you always there's always concern, you know, until they say there's nothing to worry about. But I think the process is is quite robust now. It's clear that Dean Margetts had the power to report Tom at the time if if he felt it was warranted. So um, I think that speaks a little bit to the way he interpreted the situation. I thought Tom's explanation was pretty good. He's an honest guy, and I think he called it exactly as he saw it. So I, I imagine the process with Michael Krishna will be that. He'll speak to the umpire and get his view and speak to a number of people. And if there's any doubt, they'll probably put it up for clarification. But, I mean, contact with umpires are a serious, is a serious matter, and we, we shouldn't be flipping about it. But, you know, notwithstanding what some people would interpret from the vision, I, I trust Tom implicitly, and if he says he didn't deliberately do it, I believe him. If it's accidental, it'll be a fine. If it's intentional, it will head to the tribunal. Separate to that, because that judgment will be made in the coming hours. Kane, there was a theory after Tom Hawkins missed with the back injury a couple of weeks ago that the Cats were better off without him. Uh, last night seemed to put pay to that. Well, um, the last two weeks have, Jared. Uh, when Port Adelaide, Geelong beat Port Adelaide by 34 at home in round five, Hawkins withdrew late, and it was an impressive performance by Geelong, which started the debate, are they better off without Hawkins? Well, since that debate... 
has been on. He's had 15 score involvements, seven contested marks. He's had 11 shots on goal and, and kicked six goals in the last fortnight. So clearly, clearly the Cats are better off with Tom Hawkins, and it's great to see him back in form. And their forward line is taking a little bit of shape, isn't it? Although it, it's still hard to say exactly what it's going to look like when everyone, even when everyone's available. You'd certainly think Menzel comes back in, but Radagalia gives it an, another look, an unpredictable look too, really, doesn't he? Uh, Dangerfield as well. There's always the debate how much for he, he was quite early, I thought, and he thought he's, a, he's going to be a flat Dangerfield performance. He went early and uh, went forward and sparked Geelong, especially in that second quarter. So how much they use him forward? I even heard uh, Bruce McAvaney, you, you wouldn't have heard it for the Channel 7 call, say that is he going to do a Lee Matthews and is about the time is right for him to spend the rest of his career forward, pinch hit in the midfield. Pro- probably a bit early for that, I would think. Yeah, um, I think it's a bit early um, for that. So, but, but, the, but the split of... You know, <laughs> Sorry, Bruce. No, nah, that's okay. But it's a good debate. The, the, the split for Dangerfield, what is the right split? I guess it determines on his form and, and the state of the game. But perhaps it's 60 midfield and 40 forward, especially when Ablett comes back and Menzel comes back, which gives them other, other options forward. Is there a tipping point when it comes to injury? Leon Cameron, the Giants coach, says no. I clearly believe it is not a tipping point because um, I've seen us handle these situations from last year better than we did last night and um, as I said before you can walk away from a three or four goal loss Um, it's just the manner in what actually happened last night and that was early in the piece the first 10 or 15 minutes we needed to tackle a little bit better but then we were really good at that but then when that came our kicking dropped right away we went back into our shells our ball use was poor some of that is definitely effort and some of that is staying in the game. And so um, we've got to find a way to, um, you know, whoever plays. Um, and clearly, yes, you want your best 22 out there every week, but it's definitely not a tipping point, Jerry. Bob, are the Giants a top four team? I think they are a top four team, but to answer your question, I think there's a, there's tipping points for certain clubs, and I think GWS is one of those where they, they just don't they just don't bat as deep. They're, they're, they've got as much top line as any club in the league but I don't think they've, they've got the depth of other clubs. So I think there's a tipping point for them, but not for everyone. And I, I agree. And I, I think it's hard to compare, um, even when we look back at last Friday night of Carlton and everyone made the point, and rightly so, that the Bulldogs were younger than Carlton. But I think you can only compare two clubs just to some to a certain degree. It's more their journey and where they're at with and how many players are out and what that effect has on them rather than their opposition. Yeah, and without, you know, <laughs> well, you know, I'd be accused of it for being, being biased, but a couple of years ago, the Bulldogs lost just as many. But it was a very flat, even list. That was the sort of demographic of that list. Whereas the Giants have they've got the height. They they've got the Ferraris up the top, and then don't underestimate what your absence <laughs> <laughs> meant, Bob. Well, they were better off but, without me, clearly, Hutto. And in terms of the spectacle of last night, did it do anything to curb the debate, Kane, around the style of the game right now? No, it didn't, uh, Jared. unfortunately. It was, it was a shocking game of footy, to, let's be honest, unless you're a Geelong fan. Um, but the state of the game was poor. The Giants, you know, two goals to, to three-quarter time it was. So that's an issue for them that won't go away. Um, and I don't think it's drastic changes that need to be made. Little subtle subtleties that we can make, and they'll certainly make some changes at the end of the year, but hopefully nothing drastic. So let's get into the crunch and use that as our way in. Alistair Clarkson spoke yesterday. He is one of the voices at the forefront of worrying about the direction that the game has taken and what we lose as a result. I think what's uh, what's transpired in the last last little while is that there's good debate about it, and that's all that I and anyone else who wants the game to be as good as it can be. Uh, I don't I don't need to need to be right. I don't have to have a win in this space. Um, I've got a great love of the game. And I'm keen for us to 
produce the best product we can. And um, over the journey, I'm seeing um, key forwards fall out of the game, second rucks fall out of the game, traditional wingmen fade out of the game. We've got no Johnny Platten, first Rovers anymore, the Dale Waitmans, the Kevin Bartlett's, the Lee Matthews. We don't see that player anymore. It's just becoming too much of the same sort of player. One of the great beauties of Aussie rules footy was that all different shapes and sizes could play the game. Um, my observation was that we're starting to lose that. I think this is a really interesting slight twist on, on the discussion during the week. Um, the, the notion of, of positional players, I mean, we, we've definitely lost a lot of them. Like mm. the, the Johnny Platten one he referred to, the classic Rover. Um, and he, he talked about body shapes and all the midfielders being bigger now and all that sort of thing. W- what's your thoughts on those comments, first of all, Kane? As, as someone who played, well, what position would you say you played? Yeah. Well, it finished It finished my career. I, I remember playing on Nat Fife one day at Adelaide Oval, and I was just like, there's there's nothing I can do to stop this guy. <laughs> so so the power of the, the modern midfielder it meant that guys that weighed 79 kilos like me it didn't really have a place. And he, he was at one stage looking at me laughing, and he actually said to me, what are you going to do, you old skinny man? Like, he actually turned, turned, <laughs> really? turned to me and said that. And he said, I'm just going to take you straight forward, which he did. And he kicked the goal within about 30 seconds. And I thought, well, I'm done here. Good luck trying to play on, on Martin or Dangerfield or Bontempelli or Patrick Cripps in the midfield, Josh Kennedy from Sydney. There was no place for me. So that that's what Clark always saying. Would Craig Bradley on a wing, I'm sure he, he's still good enough to play now, but would he have had the impact that he had through 350 games, I'm not sure. But well, Robert but, Harvey was another one, wasn't he? He just ran his opponent into the into the dirt. Yeah. Well, what's the What's the answer? I I don't know what the answer is because if I'm a recruiter, I'm telling if I'm a coach, I'm telling my recruiters to go and get the biggest midfielders that you can that can so, run. So does it matter? I guess that's the most important thing, isn't it? Does it matter that we don't have certain positions? And what are the positions that matter? I, I'm big on the full forward. I know mm. it's the obvious one, but. Just the lure of, of that and the magnetic presence of those big forwards, which have gradually just, you know, other than Buddy, really, have evolved out of the game to some degree, Bob. Do you th- so you th- you're worried that we'll lose the big four? I don't think we'll ever lose the big four, do we? Well, we've lost the we've lost the hundred goal kicker already, haven't we? We're down to yeah. we're down to the old 75 is the old hundred, pretty much, mm. and, and therefore you lose the you know six goals is the old eight and. I don't want to keep trying to do the maths. It's too much for my uh, my tiny brain. But uh, I don't know. How important is it? I, I, I don't think... I mean, it, I, I'm with you. I mean, I, but, but, I, but I sometimes wonder too. If, I mean, the 90s for me, I think, oh, that's when the game was at its absolute best. And I have to think, is that because I was 13 and, you know, just everything was better, <laughs> everything yeah. was better I, I, there? I think there's an element of that. But, mm. there, there, I mean, it, it is a different game. We can't argue and say we're just watching you know the same game because yeah. and, and it, it's different and, in many and, ways. And, different, and from, a, from a player's perspective, one of the new anxieties for a footballer now is is what other position do I play? Because you, you can't just be a rover and, and I think that's kind of what Alistair Clarkson is saying of and what Kane was talking to is, you know, Kane was a, you know, a, the mafia tagger, <laughs> but but it, there is, that's the, that's the modern anxiety for a player. If for, you know, for Mitch, we'll get to see Mitch Wallace today. But so, can Mitch Wallace is a, he's a classic inside midfielder. But mm. what's it? What's the second string to his bow? And it hurt Libba, didn't it? At that, the it hurt, yeah, it hurt Libba. And and Matthew Boyd was able to move himself to a halfback flank and extend his career by three years. But that's that's one of the tensions for players. Can I just ask one more question? On this: What are the good things about the modern game? Then what what do we like that that wasn't in the old game? I, I, 
the sharp hands inside. I know it's not as exciting as the big marks on the, some of the other elements mm. of our game, but I do. That, that's one area I reckon really improved in the game. The speed of ball movement. Yeah, you, you, you watch how quickly they can transition the ball from halfback to the forward 50 is, is frightening. And you, you go and watch tapes from the 90s. It's just a long kick down the line after long kick down the line. We don't get that. So I, th- I think the speed in which the players move, the way they hit, the way they pressure and tackle is as good as ever. So. Yeah, I th- yeah, I agree with that. I, I think that it seemed to me with broad brushstrokes back in the day, it was the, de- the defenders would defend and the rest would if they if they felt like it. Mm. Whereas now the the, for- the the onus on the forward, the appetite for, for players to, to defend, which I think that's part of the, what's happening with the aesthetic of the game. That's where we've really lost so the plot, much, isn't it? Really? <laughs> so much focus on it and the guys are energised by by defending for their team all over the ground, which which might not make for the best ball movement all the time, but to watch it as a spectacle, it's that that's that's part of the game too. But do we, Jared? Do we watch that? Do we like that? I think we like the we physicality it. of the game still. Yep. But I think this. So I'm probably in the opposite camp to a fit. The skill level for me is better than it's ever been because of what they're being asked to do and the circumstances they're trying to do it in. Imagine if we let them play a bit more footy if we were able to open the ground up and get the full look at the exquisite skills to be able to move the ball without losing the physical nature of the game but the congestion. Mm. I think that the number one issue is can we ease the congestion around the ball and thus set the ball free more often without compromising any of the the danger in the game or the courage in the game or the physicality of the game which was there when it was an open spectacle anyway. We we just need to find means to to try these things, don't we, I think, yeah. facilitate... So what we're asking the competition committee to do, and they meet in the next fortnight for the first time, is to start to explore how can the game be helped. I don't think... We're not asking them to return the game to something that's been in the past. We're asking them to help... We're asking... The I best version. The best version of the game that it can be now, and what are the levers? So my personal view is don't do anything drastic first up. Yeah. Use everything within the game for a year or two and explain to everyone we are going to change the nature of the way the game is played, but we're not going to change the structure of the sport. We won't start with zones. We won't start with starting points. We won't start with 16 aside. What we'll do is use every lever to see if we can ease the congestion whilst retaining the capacity to play a highly strategic game. I, I love that everyone that rang in and, or had their view and said, Leave the game alone. Leave the game alone. But if you are going to change something, yeah. I always reckon we should do this. <laughs> yeah. Nathan Buckley was what, what prime example. He was the very best that. at it. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I don't think anyone can really say that the game right now is as good as it can be. Yeah. And, it, and it and it should be though, shouldn't it? I mean, with all the, the players are now way more professional. With all we know, why shouldn't the game be better than it was 20 years ago? It should be much better. It's even now. I know it's easy yeah. to say. The competition yeah. is great, but I, mean, I think the athletes too. I think that everyone who's out there, they're, they're you know they're fit and strong, and that just kept, the gap between players athletically is is closing. Do we lose players as a result of that? Footballers, P- potentially. But that, then that comes that swings and roundabouts yeah. as well with 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 drafting. There's nothing like you know they talk about oh the football has gone out of the game, but then you are you talk to a lot of recruiters and decision making with the when they've got the never ball has never been more important. So I don't yeah. necessarily abide by that theory either. Uh, the Herald Sun's continued its dogged reporting of the Fremantle situation involving Ross Lyon and the mm. AFL's integrity probe and the respect and responsibility um, program. Uh, or the policy that's been enacted. And today's reporting 
uh, suggest that the victim in this incident is completely humiliated by what's taken place, that the process and the investigation was a sham, that it's been a nightmare for her. Those are sources close to her have been quoted. Uh, there's detail on what was said by Ross Lyon on the night, uh, alleged by the complainant at the time, that the complaint wasn't taken seriously, at least initially, and it was why she ended up leaving the club and it suggests that the payout was now $100,000, is Fremantle and the AFL, I think, have, have bunkered down uh, to beat this off so that it will go away. Do they have to respond? Of course they this? have to respond. They should have been responding prior to this moment. And the more good journalism that goes on in this front, the better, uh, because there has to be a level of accountability to this. And... Here's the, the really clear takeout from this, is the best way for this to be resolved now is if the woman herself would speak and she has been specifically paid and asked to sign a non-disclosure agreement so that she cannot speak. And if that's not hush money, then I would like to hear somebody define what it, what it is. is. So where does it leave it? Where does the situation... So it leaves a set of questions to be answered and now a good few of them fall back on the AFL from here. Uh, as to, so is the victim in this incident satisfied with what has taken place? So the line has been, yes, she's perfectly satisfied with the way that things have been handled and the resolution that would that was reached is, according to these sources, the answer to that is not even vaguely close. And the whole policy is set up for the victim, not for the club and not for the senior administrator at the club. It's for the victim. And if the policy has failed the victim in this instance, and this is really in the very early stages of a brand new policy, then it needs to be reviewed. And there's a whole set of questions. I'm happy to restate them that Fremantle have to answer. Is did Ross Lyon harass a junior employee? Why was a payment made? What was the nature of the payment? Who made the payment? Was the money contingent on the woman's silence and why? Did the woman leave the job because of the incident and does the former employee remain comfortable with the outcome? And some of those questions are now being answered from the outside and they look really bad for Fremantle. So you, who, who responds now? Is yeah, it Fremantle or the AFL or a combination? Uh, it's a combination. I think the AFL has to answer for how their policy dealt with that and... If they say she does remain happy with the outcome, then they should absolutely say that. And then regrettably, and this is the whole problem with this, is the onus falls back on the woman. And she's the one who's supposed to have been supported through this whole process. And they speak about the welfare used within the policy. Well, those close to her are saying that that's not even vaguely the case. Yeah, so, I mean, what's the, is there a timeline? or? Yeah, well, and it does rely on on good journalism to keep this yeah. alive, to come up with a set of facts today or alleged facts that raise that whole fresh set of questions because the approach of Fremantle has been, we're never going to speak of this again. Mm. And the AFL seems to have issued their own doctrine on that front. Um, it, does, it does not look good for the people in football who have handled this so far. And obviously Freo play tomorrow and Ross will... Again. Yeah, well... Uh, <laughs> Be, uh, have to speak post-match. So. Yeah, yeah. And I'm not sure it's for him to answer, no. incidentally, either. I- I'm sure it's for the club. Is the woman worked for them as well as Ross. Is 
it's there's too much of the old world in the way that this has transpired, I think, and it should cause everybody a degree of concern. That's where uh, that's where I sit on it. All right, uh, we will continue the crunch shortly, but uh, we've been joined in the box for a brief chat with the CEO of the Western Bulldogs, Amit Baines. Uh, Amit, uh, welcome. Great to have you with us. Thanks, Hutto. Magnificent day down here. Ballarat heatwave. <laughs> it is. The ground looks fantastic, though. Beautiful. It looks fantastic. What does it mean to the Bulldogs to, to come here, and what benefits do you get out of it? Yeah, it's been a terrific partnership for us. Obviously, the second year in which we're playing games uh, down here, have two home and away games, played a JLT, but um, I think it's been a, um, a, a broad community partnership for us as well. We run a number of our community programs through Ballarat and the surrounding regions, but obviously um, the opportunity to play footy down here and make it our second home is, uh, is terrific. Do all the clubs, other than the big ones, need a, a second home, a second way to bring extra revenue and find extra members? Yeah, look, it's certainly been, from a, a revenue point of view, something that clubs have explored, obviously, for a number of years now. Um, the improved economics that Eddie had, I suppose, put less pressure on pressure on you in that respect, but certainly in terms of growing the fan base, and for us as a club, expanding out through the western region of metropolitan Melbourne right through to Ballarat and beyond uh, is an important one for us. We don't have you for long, so... Uh into some uh, interesting questions. You, you've you've been you haven't been at the club long yourself, and it's, there's been a fair bit going on since you've got there. What's been your biggest challenge so far? Yeah, five months next week, so it has gone uh, very quickly. Um, I think uh, there are there are a range of uh, a range of things, but certainly um, coming off uh, the back of last year, um, in a in a footy perspective, and and trying to get our season um, going this year has uh, presented a few challenges for the guys. Um, obviously, started the year well with, in an AFLW sense, um, being premiers, which was fantastic, and. Yeah, the start of the season hasn't gone, I suppose, how we would have liked. What's your feedback been from the football department? And, if, and you feel comfortable already asking strong questions to find out why it hasn't gone as they would have, as you would have expected? Yeah, I have. Um, we've got a terrific uh, group within our football department, obviously led by Chris Grant and uh, there's a siren in the background, um, and uh, and Bevo as well. Um, I knew Bevo uh, a little bit before um, commencing at the role as well, so we've got a terrific relationship, and um, whether it's through Granny or, or directly with Bevo, we're ha- able to have um, you know pretty direct conversations on anything we need. What have they said? Uh, I think there have been a, a number of um, things at, at, at play. We've obviously, not that um, the football department speaks this way, but there have obviously been some personnel challenges this year that have meant that um, over and above the changes from last year, the composition of our 22 on a given Saturday has been a bit different. So um, within that, there are um, you know some, some teething issues, I suppose, and some time that needs to be taken before um, the, the team gels, particularly in the back half. It's been particularly young this year, as you know. Is it a maturity test for the team today, Amit? Um, yeah, look, I think it is uh, um, in, in some respects, but I think uh, implicit in that question is um, uh, an expectation that, that we're going to win. Um, I, I think, um, you know, coming off the back of a, a strong performance against Carlton last week, first and foremost, we just want to play the same um, type of footy and, um, you know, we're confident if we play to our best, we can win. And the, the economical reasons and the, the partnership of the Bulldogs and the City of Ballarat is obviously a, a huge one for the club. With the intangibles, though, Ballarat's a footy town. Do you, do you feel like it's the, the Ballarat people have, have embraced the club as their own? 
Yeah, look, we obviously had the JLT game here earlier this year and then prior to that was a, a community camp and, and we certainly had a lot of support. Um, although coming off modest numbers in year one, we've had a, a doubling of growth in our Ballarat-specific memberships as well, which has been a really a strong part of that. But as you say at the start, you know, we're, we're very fortunate to have partnerships with Visit Victoria, um, the City of Ballarat, uh, Mars, who are the naming rights partner of the stadium, Selkirk, you know, a range of um, terrific local partners who have embraced the club and by virtue of that, their organisations um, have as well. I mean, Sam Power, uh, Sam Power is your new um, list boss there. You have lost Jason McCartney, Simon Dalrymple. Now, reports of a fallout in that department. Do you feel like your, your recruiters are all on the same page moving forward? Yeah, I think, Kane. one of the, the key things that we were keen to change over the off-season was the structure of our department. Um, we're now in line with most, um, if not all, football departments across the country, and that is having one person who oversees the entire list management recruiting function and having the recruiting manager report through to that person. Um, I think some of the challenges we had historically um, related to, to, to not having that clarity as well. So just uh, to delve a bit deeper, a couple of players out of contract. Dow House comes out as well. Is those discussions progressing or is it something that he wants to wait? No, look, we've had um, productive uh, discussions with Luke's management. He's keen to stay. He was obviously very vocal about that um, a few weeks ago. Um, at the moment, there's a bit of distance in terms of um, uh, what that contract looks like, hence why there hasn't been any um, strong progression. Distance in terms of dollars or years or both? Um, more so years, yeah. And the other one is, is Libba as well. Now, not a, a huge rush considering he's out with an injury. The club was determined to look after him. What do you mean by, by look after him? And have you started negotiations with him? Yeah, I think first and foremost, looking after him is in, um, in terms of his welfare and his football structure and support. So um, the club's been terrific with that. And, and Tom himself's um, you know, been fantastic. He's made an effort of over and above his rehab, being around the club, being at games, supporting the boys and... Um, you know, he's, he's obviously a bit of a lad, um, Tom, but, you know, the playing group love him, um, so it's been great to have, have that support. We had had a, a brief, or Sam had had a brief discussion with his management um, prior to the season starting, but everyone's agreed in the context of, you know, the, the first heavy part of his rehab that, that that's what needs to be his focus and, and we can have a chat as the year progresses. Is Marcus Bontempelli out this afternoon? Um, team lists will be... Yes, he is. It's been confirmed. It's been confirmed. Yeah, replaced uh, by yes, Honey he Church. is, Sherrod. Um, <laughs> I've got to be very careful. Yeah. Uh, yes. That's nasty work by Jared, isn't it? <laughs> Could have given me the heads up. trap you. That was um, a verbal tripwire, Jared. Yeah, look, look Marcus um, pulled up, uh, or has been a little bit sore for a couple of weeks, pulled up um, a bit more sore this week with his hip um, and didn't, didn't get through um, uh, the captain's run yesterday in Melbourne. So... Um, Taking the cautious approach with him today. So who will captain? That is a good question. I actually don't know the answer to yeah. that. My uh, five-year-old boy was asking me that on the on the way down and hoping it was Lockie Hunter, but I'm not sure. So you told your son, but you weren't going to tell us. <laughs> no, no, he was <laughs> asking the question. I didn't have the answer for him. <laughs> uh, just one very quick one. Are you going to be aggressive on the recruiting front? Um, I think you have to be as a club generally these days, um, be it through the trade period or free agency or, or with the draft itself. We've obviously invested very heavily in the draft in the last few years and you know, Aaron Norton, Ed Richards have been um, examples of that out there at the moment. Um, but I think you need to be and, and in a balanced way. Alright, thanks for joining us. Uh, we'll let you go. Busy afternoon ahead for you. You better go and work out who's going to captain the team. <laughs> I'll do that. Amit Baines, the CEO of the Western Bulldogs. Uh, he's learned something about Jared too while he's here. Just setting him up for a fall there. Nice work, Derek. We'll take a break. Uh, back with more on Crunch Time for Honda's seven-year sale next.
crunch time for Honda's 2017 runout. Big footy day coming to you. Crunch time from Ballarat at Mars Stadium, which is the venue for the clash between the Bulldogs and the Gold Coast Suns. Crunch time brought to you by Honda's seven-year sale. Great offers on a huge range of new models. See honda.com.au. Should Tom Hawkins get suspended, our Twitter poll at 11.16 SEN. Yes, 56%, no, 44%. We might have an answer on that very shortly. Stay tuned. Before we get into more crunch questions, Bob, we've just heard the news that Marcus Pontepalli is out for the Bulldogs uh, today. It seems no one wants to captain the Bulldogs. There was talk <laughs> perhaps that you might be called on to go out there one more time, but who do you think will skip I've got the, the headsets on, uh, Hutto, but I'm hiding under the desk at the prospect of, of playing today. Now, Lockie Hunter will be, he'll be captain today, but they, yeah, and uh, I mean, I think Lockie Hunter and, and Jason Johannesson are the only two players out there who are in the leadership group, six-man leadership group, so they're, yeah, they're... They're young, but they're, they're missing a lot of their leaders, so it'll be interesting to see how they stand up today. Jeremy McGovern, uh, when, once you hear that uh, he's most likely put talks on hold till the end of the year, it always means alarm bells. First of all, Kane, should the should the West Coast Eagles go to six years if that's the that's the main point of contention as reported? Oh, you'd want to be sure. I, I wouldn't. I'm, I'm not a big fan of those long-term contracts. I think they come with too much risk. And just looking what at... What if it means losing him, though? Well, what if it actually means that? You may have to. You, you may have to, Hutto, because he's, he's probably replaceable when you look at the sort of money that he's wanting. We're talking a million dollars a year for, for Jeremy McGovern. Now, in terms of the risk, what I say, he's not a player that looks to me like he prepares himself as best as he possibly could and he's diligent with everything that he does. So I think it would be a risk to give a player a six-year contract that can become complacent. Six years is a long time. You'd want to be 100% sure that their body can cope for six years and they're going to do everything they can to um, return that investment. So if it means letting him go, you may have to. But I'm hearing Fremantle are going to make a serious play for him. Look, I think he's an $800,000 player at about four years. I'd be very reluctant to give him any more. So they're offering five. Is, I guess that's the discrepancy to me, is if you're offering five, well, you may as well just get the deal mm. done at six and take him off the table. Is I'm sort of with you as to whether you should be doing five, but once you're there, <laughs> I, I'm I'm surprised by that. And, and mm. I don't mind McGovern's strategy here either. Is So he's going, well, you won't give it to me? No worries. I'll go out and slay it for the next 14 weeks, and then when we come back to the table, by the way, you're going to have to do a bit better. And mm. that's the that's the Josh Kelly, Dustin Martin mode. Is For some players, the best thing you can be is out of contract. It will be interesting to see whether McGovern is one of those. Well, we'll, we'll find out soon, won't we? But the, the spotlight will go on. But, yeah, to five, yeah five, that surprises me that five years is on the table, so it's no wonder he's going for six. Do you rate him higher than Kane? Um, I'm not prepared to body shame him as, as Kane has. <laughs> <laughs> I, I just the, the the history of the game is with players who can get complacent. Now, there's nothing that improves performance. But why do you say he looks complacent? Well, Kane, I mean, he ha- as a junior, he, there was a few things around there, but. Hasn't he been extremely consistent and pretty durable since yeah, he's played? Yeah, potentially, Hutto, but the, the risk of giving him a six-year deal. Now, I was just about to say, the biggest spike in performance you can get from a player is have them on a one-year contract. And you watch the performance of some of the players in the AFL when they come out of contract. Look at what Jared Pollock's doing at Port Adelaide right now, career-best form. You look at Menzel at Geelong out of contract, career-best form. There's no secret that players put it all on the line when they don't have that security. Now, give him six years, who knows what could happen. 
I wouldn't want Kane as my footy manager. If you go into that department, Kane, there'll be a mass well, exodus. I said give him four years at $800,000 a year. That's a big contract. The poor bloke. That is a big contract. Is yeah, that, I, I, right. I, I rate him, but I don't rate him. And I, and I, I don't agree with you there, for what it's million. worth. Yeah, yeah. I, I agree. I think four years at 800 I sort of would have had him in that bracket. Yeah, but if, if you're going to lose him, that's that's the question, isn't it? Anyway, mm. we could argue around in circles on that. Is it silly for Port to play Paddy Ryder? This afternoon in Perth, Kane. Uh, yeah, I think it comes with big risk. I I, I wouldn't play him. Um, just not not because of just the Achilles, but the soft tissue risk that you get with that if you haven't done enough work. Now the ground is a subplot. How hard is it? I don't know. I haven't been there, so they'll take that into consideration. But at round seven, your most important player in a game which I I don't think they can win. Now I'm not sure. A lot of coaches don't go in thinking like that, but. Too big a risk for me. I asked one of the Bulldogs players how he pulled up from, from last weekend's game, and, and he, quick as a flash, said, I'm still sore from Perth, to be honest. Really? And, I, so I, and he said, yeah, it's, it's hard. It is. Who yeah, was so that? I can't. <laughs> <laughs> I, I just can't. But, but yeah, Paddy, I mean, initially, as soon as having, you know, I've been through tendon issues myself. As soon as I heard Paddy Wright, someone who jumps as he does, Achilles stuff, oh, alarm yeah. bells already, so I, I wouldn't have risked him over there. All right, well, let's uh, return to one of the other more dramatic stories of the week and say, whichever way you look at it, uh, the demise of Bomber Thompson. Danny Frawley, who was the Coaches Association uh, CEO uh, a few years ago and, of course, part of the team on AFL Nation, had this to say uh, looking back last night. I can remember being a part of the Essendon coaching panel to pick the next coach when Hurdy had the 12 months. Um, After being there for three months and doing my own due diligence... I heard a whisper that uh, Chris Heffernan, who was running that, that set-up with Ray Gunston, who resigned two days after Bomber was appointed, I, I walked away after two weeks after I did my own due diligence to say, I, I'm led to believe this is a boat race, Bomber's got it. I don't think he's the right man for the job because of what I've heard. I walked off halfway through. Remove yourself from I, I didn't. I, I, was, I was there to do the right thing by you, the club, yep. and I, I did my own scouting on not the coaching scenario, the, 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 the well health and well-being of guys and maybe making not great life issues off... off. So it was drugs an issue? Was that stuff that, that that's, you... I couldn't see it, but I heard a lot of it. What do we make of that? Well, it's consistent with the scuttlebutt of mm. the time. It was, yeah. It? Does yeah. It, is it just the, is it that what happens or has happened in this case? People all heard it, but no one was willing to... To act or did people, because Geelong have even been criticised, haven't they, for not trying to help Bomber? Yeah. Yet, so whether I'll, that's fair or not, it's. So my sense of that is it's that's not fair. Is Bomber did the runner on Geelong, and I think Geelong. Uh, so Bomber and he will say this one day. He was a very hard person to help, and that doesn't mean nobody tried mm. and mm. he rebuffed their endeavours to help. And Geelong weren't fitting. Mark Thompson up to leave the club is no. they were absolutely taken aback um, with the with the ends that he'd gone to to organise his departure from the club and then there's a there's an interim few years it was interesting that um, those who wanted Bomber to coach at Essendon almost the don't ask don't tell approach and that if you did ask as Danny Frawley did for his own integrity uh, you could be told to a point where you went that's not quite right counter to that is he probably had his very best year of coaching with Essendon in 2014, but at what cost? So he was an erratic figure during that time, as the players will tell you that there were periods when he was absent, he wouldn't turn up to meetings, he was 
I think there are stories that for a, a day or a bit at a time, he, he would be absent without leave, as it were. Um, he coached them brilliantly. And at the best and fairest that year, the 700-strong crowd chanted for him to remain as coach. And had he not missed the meeting uh, in the aftermath of the season, he could have been a longer-term coach than he was. So I think it probably all feeds into itself to some degree. But I don't think Bomber was an easy person to help. No. I mean, you talked about it last night briefly, Jared. that worldwide, whenever there's a, a, a drug scandal like this, it goes on and on. Yep. And it deeply affects the people involved. It leaves a scar on the sport for such a long time. It ruins reputations and it ruins lives. And you can plot that through. And it needs an image. It needs an image often. And the the image of, of Bomber running away from the cameras the other night just thought, oh god, just as many of us did, you sort of just hang your head and think, oh god, that's where it's that's where it's got. That's the image of where it's gotten to. Yeah. And and when you think about the two central people in it. Is James Hurd almost took his life, and Bomber Thompson has descended into drugs to a point where he's facing, you know, grave charges. Serious charges, yeah. Uh, now we'll see how that all pans out, but the toll for those two men individually uh, has that has been extreme for the for the part that they played in it. And and to Hurdy's point about the club not being able to look after him and those who were trying to look after the players. Yeah, as that. There were different people at different times who had different priorities. And so the club was never... The singular idea of a club during that is really hard. It was, yeah. Uh, there were various chief executives who, you know, were probably doing... Um, some were militantly looking after the Essendon side of things. Some were probably doing the AFL's bidding to try to bring it to a conclusion. So the idea of a singular... Essendon Football Club during that, that's not what we lived through. And the position kept changing to the point that any wonder that the emotional needs of a couple of people got lost in the gaps. Yeah, now, whether any of that was avoidable is probably if you went back to the very start, the first 36 hours of it, if things had gone differently, differently. then, then I suspect all of the years that follow are, are different. Do you think Essendon is past it now? Um, no, not not entirely. Not entirely. I think it still sits there. It might help explain. So we'll do this next. Is What is Essendon in mm. 2018? Mm. Are they a club without an identity? Probably. It, it, does it flow from that? In all likelihood, yes. That, that's how I feel about it. So it'll probably take years. They, they probably have to get back to being a powerful, successful club whenever that is for them to re-establish anything like what they historically have been. So, no, I would say it, it still obviously lingers. All right, we'll pursue that further after the break. This is crunch time for Honda's seven-year sale. Great offers on a huge range of new models. See honda.com.au. More from Bob and Kane and Jared. After the break, uh, repeating the news that Marcus Bontempelli is out. A late change from the Bulldogs. So, Lockie Hunter will lead the dogs. He'll take the spirit of Bob with him out today against the Suns. Welcome back to Crunch Time for Honda's seven-year sale. Great offers on a huge range of new models. See honda.com.au. We have an eye towards what is going to unfold in this round now. We're in the crunch and the key questions. I think more than anyone else in this round, it revolves around Essendon. Kane, if Essendon go under to the Hawks today, and if they happen to go under listlessly... 
that would surely be the end of them in 2018. Yeah, I would agree with that, Jared. especially um, well, considering how close it is going to be. They must win today, but more importantly, they must make a statement. Now, the history between these two sides has been documented throughout the week, but there needs to be some aggression, aggression some physicality, and they need to make a statement today. If not, season is over, and the questions will emerge about the decision to extend John Warsfold's con- uh, contract so prematurely. So what are they? What is Essendon at the moment? I think that's a question that's reasonably being pondered. It's being pondered by those who know the Bombers as to whether they've lost their generational identity, as it were. Is there a team that was lost for four years? And we've seen the ramifications of that. We've already discussed that. What are they right now? Well, I I think... Sorry, Kane. I think they're they're unreliable, but they've been unreliable for for a little while. We we thought their talent was, was... top end and we sort of had the natural progression but it, it, from what we've seen this year not just unreliable I just think they might not be that good so I think that's what's at stake for them I think that's a bit of an easy let off because their best footy especially when they played at had Stadium they moved the ball faster than any other side so their best I believe is good enough but you're right because they are unreliable so you're spot on with being unreliable, but I think they are good enough. But mentally, they need to dig in and, and not rely on talent. And, and uh, But look. that's the thing, though, Kane. Like, talent isn't just offense. Like, I, I'm just not sure if they have the appetite to defend. That's that's why I sort of think, well, I just don't think they're a balanced enough footy side. Mm, yeah, well, they, they have knocked off Adelaide and Port Adelaide, who both sit inside the top six right now, which says to me that they are good enough. Um, but, yeah, unreliable is spot on. So, what could they get? I mean... There's such great history between Essendon and Hawthorne. I don't know what sort of motivator John Warsfold is from the outside. He doesn't present as that externally. But would you draw on that at all? Is the flashpoints of the past have always been anchored in a sense of desperation? And surely there's a sense of desperation today. Well, who, who, who's still involved? Is Mark Harvey still involved? Yeah, he's still he? there. So, I mean, you think it would, if there was going to be that, um, draw on get the past to get in. <laughs> well, I don't know. Well, I like a bit like Jared. I, I can't imagine John Worsfold no. referring to the old rivalry or, or stirring the emotion of it. And I, Mark Neal's there. I don't think that's his. So it's anything his ball goes mark. today, isn't it, Hutto? You've got to get something because if they go two and five, you can't well, see it. That was one of the questions I wanted to ask Bob and, and Kane: is how fixable is Essendon's problem? Uh, well. Well, I guess it is from the outside. So compared to some of the other teams, like you know St Kilda. And... That, 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 I guess that was my comment about whether the, are they good enough. It's because it looks to me like an appetite to defend. So on one hand, you say, well, that's that's an attitude thing, that's a mental thing. So it, it can be fixed relatively quick, but it hasn't cha- like the last couple of weeks. It, it's just it's the trajectory is not right. So maybe it is maybe it isn't just a, an appetite thing. And, yeah. and, and sorry, you you go, Kane. No, I was going to say, and how far are they behind the other teams in that want and that willingness to defend? I mean, it's hard to just switch that on in round seven when Richmond have been doing it for 18 months. They've had another pre-season perfecting that. And the good sides, we've seen what, what Sydney did to Geelong down there in the last quarter. They have been doing this for probably five, six, seven, eight years, the Sydney Swans. So I don't know without being inside Essendon how much they have practiced this defence and, and their appetite for it. But they're going to want to find it pretty quickly. Hutto, can a team lose its generational identity? Is there anyone at Essendon to to carry on what they have been? And does that matter? Gee, that's a, the, the last part's interesting, isn't it? Does it matter? I mean, 
I mean, I guess I'm guessing from the outside. I mean, when we see it and then we see just glimpses of things from the past that are brought back, and I reckon it goes through cycles at clubs. It, it's sort of like, you know, you hear, oh, what they need is an old Essendon coach, and then you go, oh, what we need is somebody who's not from Essendon. And we've heard that over the journey, haven't we? Basically, if you're going crap and you've got a, an old boy, then you, you need someone from the outside. But, I mean, these boys that have been inside clubs, a lot more than me would have a better view on that, I would have thought. Yeah, well, I think there's certain players that do carry the torch from 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 one era to the next, and I'm not sure. Yeah, to, I mean, I have only thought about it right now. What are the parts of that that's important then? Well, Is it? I've lived it, Hutto, because we had Mark Williams, and when his time was up, they replaced him with uh, Matthew Primus, and then the talk was when that was going no good. Oh, you've got to get someone from outside the club. Williams is Port Adelaide. Primus is <laughs> yeah. Port Adelaide captain. Get someone else and. You, you get Ken Hinckley in, and he is completely from outside. So, oh, but I'll, he's embraced Port Adelaide as well, hasn't he? Oh, I think you have to. I, it, it's, it's a club that you, you want to embrace, and you, you want to touch on that history. And you know, Russell Ebert, the greatest Port Adelaide player of all time, still works at the footy club. So you want to have that just touch of history. But yeah, I don't think it matters, does it? I, you, you get the best person for the job. Now, I'm surprised that they were so quick. Now, nothing against John Worsfold, but I'm surprised that Richo at St Kilda, they're, they're quick to extend contracts. So you just like a, a bit more data behind you before you go and do that. I think it adds a little bit more pressure, but I, I think they can win today. I've got a feeling yeah. that Essendon can win. Now, that doesn't turn their season around by any means because it just probably points to the finger that they are unreliable. Then it's a new problem the next week, isn't it? it? Exactly. That you can do it, and then can, but can you, you know, is it, is it sustainable? Yeah, so I think they can do it. Their best is good enough. You look at their players, um, but can they do it consistently? Um, evidence would say no. What's fair to line Carlton up for tonight? Heading to the Adelaide Oval. Oh. They've lost key players again. They're wretchedly undermanned. They're not very good. Well, we talked about it. <laughs> it's quite damning the way you say it. We talked about it with the Giants, didn't we, earlier? About, I've always been big on this tipping point thing. I mean, we saw a prime example of this last year, by their own choice to a degree with Carlton. Kane against Port, remember, on that yeah. Friday night? And they... They took a young team over, and it remained, you know there was quite a bit of debate after about whether that was a good thing or a bad thing. They're unapologetic about it because they said that you know you got to play, you got to learn those lessons. Uh, it's 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 not really out of choice now, is it? No, it's shaping up to be every bit as bad as that Port Adelaide game. Um, I mean Adelaide have got some key outs as well. Walker and Sloan are not there, so probably two of their best ten not playing, which helps. But with no Kerno, how do they kick a winning score? I'm not sure. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm a little bit uh, you know, sick of talking about Carlton because I just, I, just, I just don't have the answers for it. It's just hard to see, uh, as Brendan Bolton said, they, they want to get one win before the midpoint of the season. I can't see that happening right now. We were talking about this on 360 the other day. The, the idea of being irrelevant mm-hmm. is, I think they wish they were irrelevant, is they've got to get a couple of wins to find the sanctuary of not being in the conversation. That's, that's the only thing that happens tonight. Uh, unless they heroically win, in which case we'll all uh, revel and marvel at it. But if they go 0-7, it, it just adds to the numbers. 9 out of 10 and well, then 0 and yeah, 7. Yeah, I mean, do they become irrelevant or in that sort of least out of the conversation if once they lose 8 or 9 or do they stay in it because they I still haven't won? They stay in it until they win <laughs> yeah, 2 and then two. they disappear. Right. <laughs> and it's probably better Who in their scenario that, by the way? to disappear. There's a, there's a kind of a re-evaluation of them, though, of... Until they get some of those top liners back, it's almost like no one expects them to win tonight or the next couple of weeks. Mm. But until does the harsher judgment come once Murphy, Cruiser, Kuno are back in? Yeah, yeah that's such a canny yep. point. Well done. You actually got to the heart of those. <laughs> uh, and then there's St Kilda. Is 
is there is there any whiff that they could just suddenly find their form? I sort of ridiculously feel like there is, and maybe that's the season that we're experiencing where we don't see it coming and then suddenly a team can can find its best. Yeah, I mean, we saw Kane a little bit of it against the Giants, didn't we, a few... Uh, but that, that made last week so disappointing. Mm. That first quarter, I mean, I know it was talked about a lot on the review shows, but to, to give Hawthorne 40 uncontested marks. And, uh, it, you know, I know Richo was quick to protest about the, uh, you know, the he and, and Kingsley and that vision. We made too much of it, and we probably did, but it, it would be interesting to know what they uh, see as their way out. Is it more a, a people thing or is it a structural thing? But you saw it against GWS, didn't you? The, the opening minutes of the St Kilda GWS game where you thought, oh, that's the St Kilda. That's yeah. that. And then 18 was, man, that's full on that pressure. That was gone for part of last. No, it wasn't completely gone, but not the same. Yeah, it's same. hard to play that way, isn't it? As well, for for 22 rounds, it's hard to play that demanding style of footy without getting easy goals. They're, they're not getting any easy ball at the moment. The Saints. Uh, look, Jared, if if they got up, it would be so Melbourne to um to let this one slip. That, that's but, the uh, bit. So you think it'll be framed? <laughs> well, there's not, well, there's not too many sure bets. That, but that's a that's a good point because there's there's so few sure bets in the AFL this season. But because of Melbourne's yo-yoing, mm. that the Saints will be like, we might just get them on a down. All right. The closing word on the crunch for Hutto is we're here. In Mars, what's going to happen? Ah, that is a good question. I, I look, I just, I really hope for a good contest. I, we're, call, we're all calling the game, so that's probably why we want that. But I, I think the Bulldogs, you know, they, I can't see them. I, I can't see anything but a comprehensive win for the Bulldogs. And maybe, you know, you talk about things that can fake it to make it. And, you know, they, last week they've won. If they win today, and I think it's a Brisbane next week, they can get on a bit of a roll and, and, uh, and get going. So you con yourself back con, to form. Con yourself back to form. <laughs> I um, like it. I think there were some, there were some nice things about last week, but they were playing Carlton. So uh, you know, let, let's hope the Suns are, are, are competitive. Anthony Hudson, Kane Corns, Bob Murphy. Well done. Good crunch. G'day, Mike Hussey here. Get on board Australia's best fantasy cricket game, KFC Supercoach BBL. It's fun, free and easy to play. Play today at supercoach.com.au. T's and C's apply. New South Wales authorisation number TP slash 01005.